Welcome to Podcasting Tech, a podcast for busy entrepreneurs who want professional sound and appearance for their content creation. I'm Matthew Passi, your host, and a 15-year veteran in the podcasting industry. In this show, we interview podcasters and content creators to learn about the technology they use to make their shows sound and look amazing. We also connect with the people who develop software solutions to highlight the latest and simply greatest tools out there to help you be successful. Head on over to podcastingtech.com where you can subscribe to the show on YouTube or your favorite podcasting platform and join us on this exciting journey to unlock the full potential of your podcast. Welcome to Something in Media, a show that tells the story of successful people in the general world of media. I'm Dave McGuire. We plan to show you that there are many ways to become successful in the media, whatever your background and wherever you're from. In this episode, we talk to film and TV director Paul Taylor and how he went from persuading his mum to take him to commercial shoots in the countryside in northern England to a much admired scriptwriter who has Hollywood knocking at the door. Apparently he watched watched it and, and loved it. And this is what we get, you know, I've never spoken to Steven Spielberg. And I've been one email away from him at one point where I've, somebody, his assistant, like sent me an email and I could see his reply and he'd replied. And it's just nuts to me. As a young man, Paul cut his teeth at MTV and his persistence led to opportunities for him to direct his own segments on the music channel. And as we'll hear, that is a very steep learning curve. Today, Paul is renowned in the television industry and works with some of the UK's best talents, including the comedian Joe Lysett for his latest stunt involving the alleged burning of £10,000 and a certain David Beckham. I met up with Paul for a chat in his garden shed in the depths of Gloucestershire. So I grew up in the northeast in Darlington. I loved TV and I loved films. Like More than anything, like growing up watching films was like what really... That, that, that was the driving ambition for, that, for everything. Even like I'd watch film and then I'd play that film out and like how all my figures would be like that film and I was really into like stuff like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and all those sort of big amazing sort of 80s and movies that sort of a lot of kids were but they just like blew my mind and that's just like what I loved mid 80s yeah so I was born in 1980 yeah so yeah growing up through the 80s and then yeah as I got into the 90s I was like fell in love with like Tarantino and sort of just cinema I was just so in like love with cinema and just sort of watching films and then like you trade films at school and I had other mates who were like equally into it and you'd try and geek off about you know who directed what and sort of who was in what and I mean, Star Wars was like huge. Like, I was just obsessed with Star Wars and sort of all that. And I can remember when the prequels were going to come out and just sort of, you know, what was that, 1999? So I was 19 when that was sort of happening. And I was still sort of mad into like those those sort of films and still am, you know, I still, still really love it. What was it about films in particular that you you fell in love with? Was it the mechanics of, of the films or did it just have that emotional connection, do you think, of uh, I just love the stories. I yeah. love watching it. It's, well, it's definitely the emotional. It's like, I didn't really think of the mechanics. Like, you only sort of start... I remember when I started trying to make my own films, you sort of um, didn't really understand how they made it. You didn't really sort of... Definitely emotional connection and just sort of watching things again and again, you know, watching E.T. again and again and, not, and still sort of getting emotional, sort of watch the end of it. And, and like, more, not even, like, emotional, like, sad emotion, just, like, getting so excited, like, excited that Indy was going to win. And when he goes under the truck in Raiders, I just watch that, like, again and again and play that and play it with my brother... Yeah, just so exciting. It's the make-believe, the sort of escapism of it all. Like, I love escapism in in stuff. And when I sit down and want to watch something, I want to, like, you know, escape the humdrum of your normal life, don't you? And I want to be 
hit on every level like emotionally like a brilliant drama or tv show or film or something to me is like where you're you're made to laugh cry you get excited like if it if if it can do all those things it's great and i love horror movies as well because i think it's like the roller coaster ride element of stepping into a film or something you're stepping onto this ride and for the next 90 minutes or whatever you're just going to be like transported um or you'll be also just looking at your phone halfway through it and getting a bit bored like when a film is on and i'm into it it's just like that's there's no better feeling for me and was it the case of going to the cinema as well you know this this other medium where you were literally transported into a bigger room yeah the biggest no one's got a tv uh, yeah a big as big as a cinema you know having having the whole sound surround sound experience too was that part of it it was, that was definitely part of it. that was like a, a smaller like amazing part of it like going to the cinema was so thrilling but it happened less often like most of my viewing was like home viewing i remember my dad told us he was getting sky and we got sky movies it was so exciting we had sky movies and like watching stuff on channel four they had like loads of really interesting things on channel four yeah, it was really definitely like home video, like watching stuff at home and watch it. And we had it on VHS and, and we'd label them all up and we'd watch them again and again and again and we sort of have them. But yeah, going to the cinema as well was like, that was like the ultimate experience of that. But it happened like less often, I guess. But yeah, having your popcorn, sitting down is totally immersed in it. But it wasn't essential to me. Like I was still on a TV, it was still like super exciting. I must think people get too obsessed with like the quality of the image of stuff too much like what's really compelling about something is the story and you can watch it four by three sort of the wrong aspect ratio that it was recorded in but if the story hooks you it doesn't really matter or it didn't really matter to me and yeah you can sort of get too obsessed with having like that everything's about the way it looks and as a director i'm probably to a fault like less interested necessarily in it looking super amazing i sort of rely more on my dops and stuff and i do like it to look good but it's sort of like the most important thing is how compelling is it in the con like what's the content of it and, and the visuals should be sort of assisting that uh, you know as opposed to the being the be all and end all yeah and so you you were hooked by the stories at the very beginning moving into the 90s into your teenage years do you then develop a group of friends that you talk to about TV, uh, movies, directing, did you start to make stuff yourself? Was there an evolution in your passion about movies at that point? So at school, less so. I think there was one mate called Rob and he, we were into Star Wars together and music, like that was the... So at school, at school it was more music, but I loved films probably more so than all my other friends and they were sort of like yeah we like it but you you know stop geeking off and I was like totally obsessed and then I really met mates who were, had a similar level of passion when I went to in Middlesbrough I went to Cleveland College of Art and Design and this is simply because when it came to going to uni I was like I want to be a film director I'd sort of moved off act. I was sort of always wanted to be an actor I was like actually I'm big into directing now like I've got these like directing heroes like Tarantino and stuff and I want to do all that and then I just couldn't get into any film schools like I applied to them but I didn't have anything to show I just turn up and go I really love films and I really like Jaws Jaws is great and they'd be like okay so what have you made like what and I'd be like oh not really made anything so they so obviously all got rejected from all the film schools and everything so then I was like right I want to go uh right well I need to do I had looked at, I did this, could do this art foundation course, which was this practical course where you could go and make stuff for a year and learn more about film and stuff like that. 16, 17 or 18? Post A-levels, basically, when you go mm. to uni. What's that? That's, yeah, 18, 19. Yeah, yeah, 18, 19, yeah. So, yeah, that sounds like, right, if I want to do this, which I really want to do, and, you know, there was other 
voices and people saying and myself included saying oh, i should just probably go to uni all my mates are going to uni i should just pick a subject that i'm not that interested in and or that i'm half good at a bit interested in and go and do the uni thing because that's what everyone's doing but i was just quite adamant i was like but that's pointless like i don't want to do that so what's the point and i sort of like all my mates all went to uni and i stuck around in darlington middlesbrough and went and did this art foundation course and met some really good mates there and mates who were into like films like me but the course was for radio it was for all sorts of stuff and it was really it was i really enjoyed that year it was really good did you at that point did you have a because i suppose the idea of a director is that you have a vision you have a creative mm. spark you have a style you mentioned tarantino he has a very distinctive style yeah, for example yeah. at that period did you start to develop something did you have something in mind or was it just a case of you we're experimenting with the form and trying to create a story and gaining practical skills. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely sort of had the had these sort of visions things, but it was all total rubbish. Like because you'd start making films and they were just so earnest and sort of. I'm sure if I look back at them now, like terrible. And I had, but you're sort of inspired and you, you maybe you try and write a scene like Tarantino or something. But no, like some gangster thing. And you'd be like, no one can write like Tarantino. And you're like, the whole finding your voice thing. I literally feel like if I'm even finding it, I'm sort of finding it more now. Like sort of. I don't know, people who really know. All I knew was I wanted to do filmmaking or be involved in it in some way, like ideally the director, you know, and sort of be, you know, do that. But And I probably thought all the stuff I was doing was good, but looking back, you sort of... Trying to get into all the art colleges and stuff like that, I remember that I was really into these big sort of like Spielberg movies like Jaws and, uh, you know, and Indiana Jones and all these, and Star Wars, all these big sort of films. And I remember there'd been a bit of snootiness at the art college. They were sort of like, I think I should have been... But I wasn't really into, like, art housey cinema. Like, I wanted the big escapism movies. And I can just remember a general feeling of, that, like, you know, if I was going to get into Goldsmiths, I should really be into sort of, like, these French, you know, new wave films. I should be, like, talking about Breathless and stuff. But I sort of just wasn't that, like, blown away by those things. I sort of like these big American movies. So I guess I wanted to make stuff like that. Like, that's what I watched. And I still think that's... You hear big-time directors still saying that now, like, and Tarantino's, I've heard him say that. You say, um, you know, make the film you want to go and see. Like, and I think that's a really good rule for anything. Like, make the thing you want to watch because then you'll shape it into something that there'll be other people like you out there. And if you think it's really good, you know, and it's a sort of rule that needs to have a few caveats and you sort of need to listen to other people as you go. But I think you've kind of got to sort of stick true to what your your real instincts around something and make something that you think's really super cool that isn't, hopefully isn't out there already. Absolutely. I think there's, there's always going to be snobbery in any art. And uh, this idea that, you know, if you make something that you believe in, it's always going to turn out better. Yeah. And in, I mean, it definitely in any artistic venture, and I'm sure any venture there's other voices and i'm sure in business and everything and i think you come across it all the time you know trying to make something you have a vision for it and you have to sort of compromise and filmmaking particularly is really collaborative and and tv you know to make it's all really collaborative loads of people feed in but i think the the best stuff does feed into like person's vision you know and i've been a part of the thing you know when I, I i i work with joe lyser a lot and we make his show and we're all feeding into sort of joe's vision for it it's not my it's certainly not my vision it's sort of but you're sort of trying to get his voice into something because it'll just make a better final product it'll feel like it's every, you know from somebody rather than from sort of a committee of people yeah i i think as, as a director it's really important to have vision and stuff but it's just as important to be able to communicate that vision to other people because it's 
you can't go off and make it on your own and these big TV shows and take the time to communicate it because especially it's very easy just to sort of be in your own head going, I can see just how this will work. But like taking the time to sort of explain it to someone or explain it to the different departments so that they can all feed into that sort of vision because as much as, you know, as much as a collaborative process, you sort of need someone to point in a direction say, we're going that way. And, and this is the reasons why we're going that way because it's going to be great. Yeah, so let's break that down then in terms of what a director does. Mm-hmm. You're primarily a, t- a TV director. What does that mean on a day-to-day basis? If it's possible just to break it down in terms of what your main job is and what your responsibilities are on a project. And so it, it, I mean, it slightly varies project to project. And there's there's in TV that you can be brought in as like a director, a series director. There's also this sort of hybrid role, which they call a PD, which is a producer director, which are probably more considered sort of more lowly, I guess, the sort of the PD. You're sort of doing both, but which I've always really loved because you're sort of you're involved in the content and the visuals because I'd say in TV, the kind of TV I make from like reality and these sort of more docky stuff, a director is very much in charge of making sure the visuals of that programme are good and, and suited to the the material that you're sort of you're making. And you're sort of slightly pushed out of the sort of actual content of the show. It's sort of like, yeah, you can have an interest in that and sort of it can feed into what the visuals are. But the producers very much sort of look after they're more involved with the content and maybe working more with the talent, which is different, say, I would say, and from my brief experience in film, where the director is more overseeing everything. In TV, I think you're you're brought on to sort of make sure the show looks good. So, like, excuse my ignorance on it, but would that be a case of literally going onto a set, for example, and just thinking beforehand uh, what shots you want when, what shot tells the best story for that particular line, for example, or when, you know, when to cut to a certain frame? Is is it in that granular detail, or is it just a case of on the day, you know, you, you kind of have a gut feeling of where to go? Well, I, it's... It's very much like that, that's much further down the line, I'd say. It's like the prep is so important. Like, and I'm a big fan of like prepping stuff, and it's sort of like your safety net. It's sort of like, you know, we all have these fears that we're terrible. It's like prepping is a way of like making sure that on the day, because loads of people are going to ask you questions, that you've sort of thought out everything and that everything's going to be good, even if on the day you slightly go off piste. So the most normal thing as a director now would be i'd go on recce's and because often a lot of stuff i film is in real locations uh, be it like a hidden camera stunt we're going to do so that would be like a really early doors you're just lo- literally looking at the location and where we're going to film stuff where we're going to stage the action where we're going to put the cameras or the camera and um, so you're looking at stuff and then you're assembling your team so you might be getting in your camera people you like to work with or th- that's right for this job and are you in charge of hiring those people not necessarily like the physical hiring but you'd be like and ideally i'd be brought into a project and i'd be like oh i really want to get you know th- this this camera person i think they'll be great or i might have just come off a job with them or and i, I kind of have different camera people i love to work with on different things and, and mix it up like if you just you know you haven't worked with someone for a while you're like, oh great i'll give sensor a ring you'd speak to them and then you'd hand them over to like production who would sort of sign them up and do all the money stuff like i'm not negotiating their rates or anything like that i'm just saying oh be great to get you know this guy this girl on and then sometimes you come onto project and they're already got there's someone or they've got somebody in mind for it and all that stuff but ideally yeah you'd bring on so it'd be like the camera people is what on the sound sound part they're the sort of people i'd sort of go oh can i get this person because i know they will make me look good does the buck stop with you 
Um, but only I asked this because um, I'll just tell a story. I, I worked on um, coverage for Sky on the Latitude Festival. The only thing visual I've ever worked on. Yeah, uh, I was a, a junior booker, and um, I remember seeing the director in action, director of a live TV show. It was covering the main stage. And this director, he was obviously very, very stressed. He was screaming and shouting <laughs> what camera he wanted, when, uh, what angle he wanted the camera. And he had a team of about 10 people around him. But obviously the stress levels yeah. live were intense. Obviously that's a different type of thing because it's live yeah. TV. But I can imagine that, I remember thinking he must be in that situation because ultimately the responsibility of how it looks is is on his shoulders do you do you have a sense of that on the day definitely yeah 100 percent. but then you kind of it's you want it because i want i want to be like in charge like it's the playtime it's like i want to sort of decide certain things and be like call the shots but then that comes with the pressure of not ballsing it up and sort of the big pressure i sometimes feel is something like like a lightning in a bottle thing that you've got to capture and it might be a multi-camera thing might be a hidden camera thing and but and so that's super pressurized but it's so exciting and exhilarating like when you're on like some sort of like stunt and you capture it like it's it's like it's like i don't know imagine what live theater is like or something like that and it's or like doing like a, a sting for like the cia or something you're just like you've got you've got all this kit set up no one knows what's going on and you have to pull it off and you don't get a second chance because it is yeah a surprise you can't, yeah. you can't have a surprise if it's well you've definitely. got a retake <laughs> yeah 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 and i oh yeah man i had this yeah there's definitely pressure and if it goes wrong you know the buck does stop with you i had this thing so that had to be this like reveal and and we had to get his reaction you know the kid was about to find out and i was working with and i think this is a good lesson i was working with crew i hadn't really worked with before and i put this guy on who said he would work with this certain camera in the room which looks like a stills camera so the, the idea was the kid wouldn't really notice he would just think someone was taking stills put him on that he was on the kid's reaction and then the main camera person who trusted a bit more he followed in scott and chris and then we got yeah and it's all great it goes on the day all brilliant and then we get back and like the shot on the kid was totally underexposed and out of focus and it was sort of unusable but luckily we'd got some like pickup like we'd redone done the moment a bit just to get some extra angles on it which you sort of is just yeah stuff you learn but i never worked for that company again and there was a general feeling that afterwards i'd balls it up it was my call to sort of put that camera there and put that person in and i should have yeah should have checked better that he knew what he was doing and it's not yeah it certainly wasn't his fault mate you know with with a lot of jobs like this it's your reputation at stake right you yeah. know and because especially as a freelance go from one job to the other did you feel that that was putting your reputation at risk because that one particular moment or was it was it understood that it wasn't necessarily your fault i don't know what there's something in me where i'm always desperate to do like a really good job terrified of like mucking it up and i just want everyone to think i'm brilliant and that the thing and the thing we make is brilliant so that drives a lot of like what i do so I, i'll be work extra hard and did you always have that you went to arts college did a foundation year did you have that quality then or is it something do you think you've built into your skill set as you've got older i don't know i've definitely got that in me the stuff about my dad potentially he was sort of like very he would never really give compliment he would never uh, there's nothing i did was ever good enough he wanted me to be sporty I, I don't know that might be something about it but i don't know i just always want to do like a really good job i think it's a good trait to have but it can spill over into you feeling 
really stressed and sort of you know anxious and then it can take over it can definitely lead to like you prioritizing work too much and worrying about work too much the older i've got the more experience i've got that's less of a factor and i'm sort of more confident in my own skills but definitely early days even just as a runner running on like commercials and stuff i was terrified of messing up and like wouldn't be able to sleep the night before shoots you should be nervous before things because that means you're up for it and you're like on you know you're ready to do it and if you're just yeah if you're too casual more mistakes will happen but yeah when things go wrong like if you yeah there is definitely a feeling of like yeah your stomach drops out and you're like oh god yeah um so you know we're talking probably 2000 at this point when you finished college Mm -hmm. you mentioned that your dad wanted you to go in sports i'm i'm assuming that neither parent was in film or tv or any creative business my mum was a nurse my dad was a dentist but my mum was really supportive, like came to every school play and stuff. And she's the one, when I was in art college, she's the one who like got me jobs as a runner because she knew someone who was a location manager on this drama. And she was like, I definitely not that confident. And she rang up the um, location manager and was like, oh, my son would do it. So um, what, what was what was that? It was like a commercial for Yorkshire Tea. In fact, it wasn't even a commercial. It was the bumpers that went on Heartbeat. Um, like you know heartbeat would finish and they'd be like somebody in a steam train drinking like a cup of steaming Yorkshire tea I remember it well heartbeat was I loved it but it was always at that point on a Sunday when you had that fear of the Monday morning <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I associate to it so that must have been exciting then as a as someone with a half a, an eye on a career in the movies in TV and suddenly you're actually doing it you're, you're gaining experience you're seeing what it's like to work on a real set with yeah. real professionals it was amazing it was amazing and terrifying and I, I had this little Vauxhall Nova so it meant that I could sort of whiz around mostly I was sort of working at the unit base the unit base is like where everything where everyone's at before you go to set and all the like costume trucks are and stuff like that and it's a fairly small production in the grand scheme of things but I was working for the location manager and I'd put up these things called unit signs which tell everyone where they're going if you're driving around you'll probably see them they're usually little luminous signs and you're like oh there's a drama filming over there I wonder what that is Anyway, so I'd be putting those up and then I'd be getting stuff for the unit base, basically. And I remember I remember just getting all the wrong stuff because I was so nervous. I remember they sent me out to get like um, kitchen roll and I came out with loads of loo rolls. And then they told me, oh, you've got the wrong thing. And then I remember seeing people like trying to use the loo rolls to like mop stuff up. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. And that was one where I really wasn't sleeping the night before because I was just like, oh, I'm going to mess up. And it's it was such simple work, really, just to sort of, you know, whiz around and get stuff. Totally capable. But I was did a, probably a worse job because I was so nervous. And it, I think it's important to make that distinction even earlier on. The difference between theory mm. and going into the real world of work, right? Where yeah. you're where you have real pressure, where there is real money on a project, mm-hmm. even if you are a runner, for example. That must have been quite a learning curve, even getting, you know, doing running errands and things, seeing a real life director, for example. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, someone who's uh, making decisions on the day. Yeah. A very common path in film and TV and stuff I do is that you start at the bottom and work your way up. And that's what everyone tells you. And that even if you go to film school for three years, you'll probably have to start at the bottom making tea and work your way up. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I think that's good. Like, I would have been terrible if I'd gone in near the top. Like, I was just been a complete mess. And you sort of, you know, starting as a runner, you, I was doing an okay job. And, and yeah, and you're just, you're hardening yourself up and building experience and seeing other brilliant people working. And I think that's, 
you do learn from other people and I think people shouldn't go in at the bottom and feel like hard done by by that and God it's like you're going to learn so much and I would say like go in and really throw yourself into that like be the best whatever your job is be the best sort of person making tea and getting what people want and and listening but also show that you have ambition to go higher I think sometimes you can come unstuck I see people coming in and they look a bit peeved off that they've got to make the tea and they they're not that you know humble really and they're sort of they've been they've been making films and doing stuff and they're sort of they're chipping in with oh well shouldn't you be framing it this way and stuff like that and that is only going to put people's backs up and I made I made exactly that mistake on I was on the first jobs I got in London I was a director's assistant to this guy called Herbie Wise who's no longer with us but he was a, a a great director and I was looking I was working with him and and doing an okay job but then there was times he'd be in ideas meetings and I'm meant to just be there to sort of note stuff down and I started like chipping in oh well couldn't you do it this way and I was yeah and I could just yeah and at the time I sort of thought it was all right but that's just you know that's not my place to do that maybe if it was just me and him quietly afterwards I should have could have gone oh I just had a thought and he would probably he was so nice he'd have done it in a way but there was like big American execs in that room it was a it was for this series called Dinotopia like what you want to do is do your job brilliantly so that when you finish all those people on that production will be like we've got to get you know we've got to get Phil back he's absolutely brilliant you know make yourself indispensable yeah make yourself indispensable but I think it's also key. To, I've also seen people get stuck being runners for years because they're so amazing at it. In TV, the sort of TV I do, it's like runner, then you become like a researcher, then you become like an AP, and then you sort of become a producer, sort of a, and like all you know, show willing to go to that next stage to be the researcher, um, you know, to want to get involved, real interest, or if you want to go down a camera route, ask the camera team, you know, oh, how does this work? Like, why are you shooting on this lens? Like, just sort of show willingness to learn but not at the expense of doing your job that you are there to do so that that mistake that you said that you made which sounded like um it's very understanding director was that one of your first big breaks after college so early 2000s did you how did you get down to london what was what was the process i was at art college i was doing this communications course and i was working as like a runner on com- local commercials with this location manager and I did I started I did a commercial like a commercial of Coca-Cola with this second AD and did a good enough job that she was like oh I do loads of stuff if you're ever in work in want work in London I do she did loads of events she did like the Brits and and these big live events and on that you're just yeah you're a runner and you work for her and you um do stuff she called Carol Brock she's absolutely incredible and she was like yeah if you want to come to London so yeah she started getting me work down there and just one job leads to the next and that and sorry were you were you renting down there like um was was that something that you you took the leap how how did that feel i had a schoolmate who moved to st albans because he was doing he'd got a job for this company and so he was renting a room and i just sort of crashed in his place so i'd be in st albans and i'd get the train in or i had i had my car as car so i'd just get myself around. Oh my god, I was so terrified as well, like driving around London. I know it seems ridiculous, but like as someone from a small town, like driving around, I was just terrified I was going to like take the wrong turn and just end up completely lost. And you know, didn't have sat navs. So it was just like I would stop looking at the A to Z. Yeah. Oh man, I was just a bag of nerves. I mean, I tell all this, but I was just having a good time. Like I'd be having a laugh, 
but there was also moments of complete white hot panic where I just think so you were living in St Albans it's near London but it's yeah. it's a good what 40 45 minutes outside yeah I was so unknowledgeable about London but it just look, it looked pretty close on the map it, yeah. it did it kind of worked for me it was all fine and it all a lot of like if you want to get if people want to get into tv and film and stuff like that it, it does involve long hours and getting up early often on those sort of days so it's you know just getting up super early driving to the location or where it was and that series where i totally messed up was all at, filmed at pinewood which was such a thrill unbelievable yeah it's where all the bond films and the way they'd filmed aliens which is still probably my favorite movie ever and i so yeah i would go right like i was there doing my job but then i would be going to like i knew what's like sound stages they filmed like certain things in and it was just so exciting but i did balls it up really because i got too cocky sort of trying to chip in with these ideas so were you going from job to job going wherever the next yeah. gig took well, you yeah literally that and, and still doing that now really you try and steer your steer your career in certain ways particularly more as you get further on you make choices about what you're going to do i guess from that point of view i was sort of pushing myself towards doing more i'd see directors and i'd be like okay so you have to go through i'd ask them how do you do it and it's like going th- through the route of of what i mentioned before was like researcher to ap and you sort of become this thing called a shoot shooting ap or shooting researchers where you literally get handed a camera so you, that, that's what happened to you did it you got handed a camera and you for the first time maybe yeah. mid-twenties maybe at this point yeah so i started working less on like the commercials sort of high-end stuff which i found it was very hard to move up in like nobody was handing you a camera <laughs> nobody was really saying you step up to the next level everyone's like drive the golf cart make the tea it was all fine but then when i started getting into i started getting into sort of reality tv and watching a show called five go dating um uh, with all these people who are now i'm still mates with now um, I'm sorry, you got that gig because it was that reputational thing where somebody must have recommended you or you just knew that a job was coming up? That was through a fact. Fe- so as well as it's people who were like hiring you, it's also like other runners. And I, th- I remember that was another runner who had, who was working on it. And they were like, oh, they're looking for other runners. You should apply for this. Because it was a bit of a change. It was out of like the commercials and sort of events. And it was into like TV. And as soon as I got into that, I was like, oh, this is quite cool. Although I wasn't really into the stuff we were making and like it wasn't stuff I'd watch particularly. I was getting asked to doing way more creative stuff and like, yeah, I could see that you would be getting handed a camera and I was making like props and I was like, oh, this they I'm being asked to do way more stuff and I was, so I really enjoyed that. So what was that? What was that TV show? Literally just a, a dating show. Was the concept literally what it said on the tin? It was a girl's house and a boy's house. Five, five, five boys, five girls. And yeah, and then during the course of a week, they'd each date each other. Uh, yeah, not that dissimilar to stuff that's around now, really. Um, celebs go dating, I think it's literally the same sort of thing. And then they'd, it was very, and, uh, they'd score each other after the date. But what was ridiculous is we were filming, we had two teams, so we'd, one day you'd be filming three dates a day, and then the next day you'd be filming two in order to film the five dates a day. And it's mad to film five dates a day. And they, the dates they were going on were sometimes like 10 minutes long. It's literally like, right, you're in, you're in the park. You're feeding the ducks. Sit down, talk. You have cameras, <laughs> talk. And then, right, get up, interview. How was the date? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Right, now we're going to film the goodbye. And we'd be trying to persuade them to like snog or something like that. <laughs> but it was mad days. Like I was, you know, three locations a day and sort of doing all these different things was sort of quite full on. But it was so super fun. And me and the other runner, Philippa, who still mates with now, yeah, it was we were sort of doing it together and it was like it's a it's that slight sort of we're going to war sort of like 
it's going to be big. Every day is going to be big. And we're going to get up super early and get to bed super late. But it's like, we're going to film this rubbish dating show. And yeah, it was a really good, really good laugh. And I mean, what's weird to me looking back now is like, there, there were never stuff that I was wanting to do. But I, if you could ask me back then, I would still probably be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a film director. But I was just like, I'm just having fun now and this will all help. And I was learning. And so were you uh, like a, a cameraman then? You're called like a shooting PD, shooting AP. You're normally working under a director who you may be filming second camera. Like they'll have the main camera on something and you'll be like, they'll be direct saying, can you hold a shot on? And you're, t- you're talking to them about how this is going to look and then you're working with them in a team. Yeah, yeah. And they'll put, yeah, they'll put you on a shot, you know, and they'll check, they'll check that, you know, and you, it's your job to make sure technically, you know, that shot's in focus, you're holding it still, it's, you know, it's exposed correctly and... There's definitely technical stuff you need to learn. And I kind of maybe naively just thought, oh, I just get a camera and I'm my natural talent will just display itself. But it's just like, yeah, you've got to really learn how to use that camera and that all the settings are good. Really challenging role being a PD. It's like very um, rewarding. But yeah, you've got to be technically on it. You've got, you're also like rigging mics on people, especially if, so if then the crew go and you're put in charge and maybe filming a chat with people or whatever it might be it's all on you to make sure that's usable and you might be working with someone else but it's like it's quite nerve-wracking but exciting because you're like filming this little thing and the thrill of it like when it goes on tv like you see it and there's a little sequence you've filmed you're trying to do all these different things because as well as technically being good and thinking about what shots you're going to get that will make the sequence usable at the end you know you're also trying to be you know produce the contestants that are on the show and be mate you with them and make them feel that they can trust you that they could open up to you and sort of like so there's a lot going on this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. This is Something in Media. I'm Dave Maguire. We're listening to the journey of director Paul Taylor. We've heard how Paul has cut his teeth in the directing game. However, it wasn't until the release of a passion project that got the attention of Hollywood. I did this short film called The Blue Door. And it was I was working with Gemma Whelan, who's like an amazing actress. She was the first like proper actress. Game of Thrones. Actor, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's in Game of Thrones. She's in The Crown. She's in loads of stuff. End of the uh, fucking world. She's just like, she was the first like l- real legit sort of actor, scripted person I'd ever worked with. And I just learned a lot from her because like we had to film it out of sequence it's a horror movie. She's looking after this patient and it turns out to be scary and stuff's going on. All contained within a bungalow house. But because of the schedule and we're filming it on this small set, we had to do all the hall scenes in one go, then all the bedroom scenes in one go, then all the lounge scenes in one go, which is out of chronology with the film. Like when you watch it, she's in different places, but just, you know, you're in the hall. Let's just do all the scenes there. But 
over the course of that film, her fear escalates over the, over the course of it. She was just like, we're going to have to have a system of like how scared, literally how scared am I at this point? And we just had this like one to ten system of like, OK, so if in this scene you're going to start, you're at a level four, but by the end of it, you're going to be at level eight. But save something. Don't go all the way to nine and ten because we need that for when we get to the bedroom. So that just very simple communication. And I later learned on Halloween and that John Carpenter had exactly the same system. It's like, well, makes sense. I'm the next John Carpenter. Uh, yeah, that was a joke. So, so just like taking the time to make it feel small, bring it down when you're talking to an actor. The more you can make it real on set as well, I would, I would say, the better it is. And there was a bit when she, right at the end, she has to be really scared. She's looking at this like horrible sort of demon thing that was in, in the corner. And we had somebody all in prosthetics who was being that person. We'd filmed all their coverage and then they had to go to the bathroom or something. And it's like, right, turn the camera around. Gemma will now do your reactions to that. And I was like, right, right, ready to go. Let's go. And then she was like, can we not have, can you not put the person there so I can, re- I've got something to react to. Yes, I'm like good actor, but the more you can make it better. Now I would always be like, oh, can we keep, like, I think they'd probably ask, oh, can we take, you know, Annie offset now? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. We don't need her. She's not in the shot. But Gemma's like, oh, can we not have that person there in that corner? That would really help. You know, I'm not in TV, I'm not in film, but I've heard interviews with actors, especially, that you can tell that they enjoy when their input has been listened to. Oh, 100%. I mean, everyone likes that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's such a balance. Making anything sort of, especially like a a film or TV show, you're trying to balance, you know, it's a collaborative process. You're all working together. And I think you get the most out of people if they all sort of feel valued and they're... And they're, they're invested in, like, why it's going to be great. Like, sort of trying to... I, when I start a, bit, a project, particularly one I'm really into that, I'm sort of, there's different projects you do, aren't there? There's projects when you're like, this will be good, I'll make it as good as I can, but maybe you don't think it's going to be the... It's not going to change the world. But then there's other things, like, particularly like the shorts I've made, and I'm like, I want this to be as amazing as it possibly can be. And the other stuff that I'm like, try and start a project with, like, really at the sort of base level of, right, what do we need to really get right? Like, what are the three things about this that's going to make it great and sort of drill down on those and I put together like uh, they're called like lookbooks or visual statements which sort of illustrate in visual terms what this film is going to be and what's going to make it great like sort of below the surface that's going to sort of feed into it like what people are going to really connect with about this and then that becomes a really useful document Where was the point where you had a bit of reflection and you thought oh I've made it I definitely still don't feel like I've made it. I always feel like I'm just jobbing on, paying the mortgage, you know, and sometimes you get really good jobs that you're like, oh, this is awesome. And my aspirations are in film and sort of things like that. And so I've always got that that I'm trying to push towards and I'm trying to push my career towards, which is why I've been doing the short films. But I can definitely remember... There was definitely a period when I started going, I started being lucky enough, I had all these away shoots, so I was sent to like Fiji to film this like show about these people starting an island, an island project. So this this was uh, the same period you started getting handed the camera more, yeah. becoming a PD. And it, it was all from that, because they could trust you to go out and film some stuff. And you become, like my, if you're interested in, in sort of directing, so my advice is like learn, like learn, ask how to use a camera, learn you know how do you construct a sequence because then you become really valuable that you're like a relatively cheap <laughs> uh, mini film unit you know they just pay you for have a camera maybe they'll just give you one person and they can send you and you can go and film stuff and yeah and i found i was suddenly getting sent on all these amazing away shoots i was yeah you know, like saying going to fiji it was like 
And I remember being like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Like, this is great that um, I'm getting to do all this. Like, wow, like, how lucky am I? It must have been quite surreal. Although a bit of pressure, perhaps, when you arrived to, to think that you've been sent to the other side to paradise, let's face it, Fiji. But then the pressure was on to actually get the shots, get Def- the work done. Definitely, definitely. But it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, you're always like in a team. There'd usually be like two of us. So it wasn't all on you. And this, so there was an element, you had that other person to rest on, but we were going to, for that two weeks that we were out there, we'd cover, you'd be given what stories you're going to cover. And I guess the other really pinch me, this is awesome thing was when I started uh, working on my own shorts and working with people on sort of short short films and working in more scripted stuff because suddenly it was like this was all the stuff I grew up wanting to do. Obviously, you've you've developed at this point quite a reputation. Your career has evolved from being a runner to being a PD slash director. Can I say slash yeah, director? Yeah, yeah, then like and then series director, and then I'd even started doing producing stuff and realised that wasn't so much for me, and sort of wanted to go back sort of step back and do more directing so you're still going from project to project still working from different production companies but every time your role was getting a bit more senior your reputation was building a bit more and so maybe mid-30s you kind of continued along that vein let's say 2010 2012 yeah. something like that yeah so my my son was born in 2014 and I remember then sort of starting to like starting to look at where is my career going? Like I could sort of see that a lot of people in TV doing what I was doing, being like PDs and stuff. There's not a lot of old guys around. And I'm kind of like the old, older part of that. I still feel pretty young, but I'm like, do I want to be running around with a camera filming these things? Then am I even going to get employed? Are there going to be other people coming up doing all that? So I started to really think about, look, if I'm going to have longevity in my career and ideally end up doing scripted stuff, whatever it is I need to like make real effort into moving my career over into the things I want to work on instead of just going job for job mm. I was like right let's start making short so I the we decided to make this write a script for this this horror movie we'd had this we were at Glastonbury once and we were like wouldn't it be great if there was like or wouldn't it be a good film if there was like a slasher movie at a music festival like it, the, but it was just like a funny sort of almost slightly Shaun of the Dead sort of idea like script maybe very similar to Scream like Scream at a music festival and we are like yeah that'd be good and we'd always have these different ideas we're like that's just what we used to do is like come up with ideas for films and then it was around that time we were like well let's just actually make it or, or at least let's stop just write it and my advice with anything is like you don't have to do the whole thing instantly like just you just need to get to the next step so just just write the script or write the synopsis maybe or whatever so yeah just started to be like right well let's actually do this and so we wrote a script which sort of doable in terms of like we you know contained it enough and then yeah we just sort of like right well let's actually do it and put some of our own money in and we went found a festival that was going to let us come and film because it was part shot at a real festival so what was what was the film called and how how did it go it was called fest evil which uh, i love it making a short you learn so much and i went into it probably again arrogantly thinking well i film tv all the time it's just the same but it's just filming actors and i remember and i was sort of frustrated with why is there such a gulf between doing the stuff i'm doing and like scripted drama and films and like why would nobody employ me for that surely it's the same thing but I actually got quite a rude awakening I think and sort of realized oh it is there is so many more skills uh, there's so many different skills it's just a different sort of product you're making I guess and the, the biggest thing is that in in anything scripted you're completely constructing the whole world and everything has to be right otherwise it'll all fall down 
Whereas when I'm filming like a comedian traveling around and being funny, they're in the real world, they're doing funny stuff. It's kind of, it's fine. But when you're creating a whole world, everything has to be good. Because we've all sat at home and watched a drama and seen, oh, that actor's bad. And it just snaps, suddenly you're out of it. Mm. And now the, the whole drama is terrible because of that one bad thing. So you like, there can't be one bad shot in it. There can't be one like out of focus shot because it all the whole house of cards will fall down. Yes, it's much more like a house of cards. It's really interesting. I never thought about it that way. So it, the idea that if a director, for it to work, they have to be emotionally invested in, in the story, in the film, in the project, in the people. Oh, 100% that. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to be invested in the story. Like that's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas as the TV stuff is perhaps a bit more um, operational. In terms of my thought process with that then is that that give you momentum for your next short and also um so going back to the blue door with Gemma Whelan am I right in thinking that was BAFTA nominated yeah and which is amazing which is unbelievable congratulations I read that um it led to a developmental deal with Steven Spielberg's studio Amblin yeah which is still nuts to me and yeah and you in one day it was mad I was in um Bogota with the family and this was the day that the the the, they, the agents and everyone had set up this day and it was a day of three calls where in the morning we'd get on and pitch pitch the idea for the film and I'm just in this like grotty hotel in um, in Bogota trying to get seen you know, <laughs> and my wife had to take the kids out for the day and yeah and I'm on the phone trying to like sound all professional and be like yeah so this is going to be the film so you know and so in those little hour meetings they'd seen the shore and then you literally yeah you like to sell the film and I would do like the opening sort of spiel of like, this is what we're going to do. And then you sort of sell, it's like a five minute sort of version of what the film is. And then Ben and Megan and the writers, they'd then weighed in on other stuff. So we'd sort of rehearsed it as a little pitch that we do. Yeah. So you do that. Then that afternoon, it's like, okay, so-and-so's dropped out. These other two are still interested and they have like a, and then they come back to you and go, right, you know, Amblin won it. So does someone else. Who do you want to go with? our brains like exploded with the idea that Amblin had wanted it and they you know their sell to us was like Stephen really wants to be involved and apparently he watched watched it and and loved it and this is what we get you know I've never spoken to Steven Spielberg <laughs> and I've been one email away from him at one point where I've somebody his assistant like sent me an email and I could see his reply and he'd write and it's just nuts to me yeah. that you know having grown up you know loving Indiana Jones and E.T. and all these films and the fact that he would have even be aware of me as a person the two have actually seen sort of a, a film i made with with ben and megan and on all the other people who worked on it it's just like uh, that is a real pinch me moment we've come full circle i think because when you're first talking about getting into tv and film as a kid that kind of thing excited you then it's still exciting you now obviously and it continues to do so probably even more so because you know you've got lived experience doing it yourself and obviously sharing that now have you talked to your dad about your career in terms of since uh, since those days, he yeah, I mean he's 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 interest like he's interested in certain things that like capture his imagination more like the TV stuff like he's he really likes the Joe Lysett stuff like that I've done he'll be asking about that stuff you know and he sort of watches he's like interested and excited but he's always just like right what's the next thing you know what, what are you gonna do next when's that when are you gonna be a film director he's supportive you know he's like think he wants to be able to show off to his mates that oh paul's oh yeah paul's doing this now and no, i don't know i guess i always feel he's maybe thinking what i'm doing isn't good when he when someone asks you know what what's the next thing why aren't you doing that next you're always like oh what i'm doing currently isn't good enough for you <laughs> or something and that's sort of probably a feeling i 
have inside myself and I'm always like what's the next thing and so what is the next thing I want to I would love to so I've got a load of projects a load of sort of films I'm attached to a few films yeah I'd love one of those to get like greenlit and actually go and make a film like I'd love to make a full length feature film I'd love to keep doing more scripted stuff so just done a run on horrible histories which I'd love to do more stuff like that and it's working with actors and scripts and head and departments I still love comedy I still work, love working with comedians and um, so I'll keep like, keep doing all that stuff and like that's super fun and then just you know trying to push my career over in, into the more scripted stuff because I believe one it's the stuff I really really want to do and have wanted to do since I was a kid and two I just think there's more longevity you can be that sort of director up until you're absolutely ancient <laughs> you know um, you're like David Leans and stuff like that and, you know and sort of whereas in TV I think it is a bit more of a young person's game Paul Taylor and how he became something in media you can find out more about him at paultaylordirector.com and how has Paul carved out such an amazing career I hear you ask well get further insights from our in-house careers advisor via our website at somethingin.media and you can glean a deeper understanding of what it takes to make it in the media and even an opportunity to book a one-on-one session Something In Media is a stable production and if you enjoyed listening please do follow us by pressing the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice and if you think someone may benefit from listening to these stories please do share let them know I'm Dave Maguire and thank you for listening.